0: Hello and welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what's shaking up in the world of work and education. I'm Debbie Goodman, your host, and today we have as our guest, Denis Nikolaev, who is head of EdTech Investments at Process, one of the largest technology investors in the world. And whilst you may not necessarily be familiar with the Process brand... If you're in any way connected to the EdTech world, you'll definitely have heard of the companies in their EdTech portfolio, certainly. Um, in fact, Dennis's EdTech team has invested over $3.5 billion in a portfolio of 12 companies globally including Stack Overflow, Udemy, GoStudent, Byjuice, amongst others. You'll definitely he- have heard of some of those. Um, prior to his time at Process, Dennis worked as an investment banker at Citigroup in London, where he helped establish the Internet Investment Banking team there. He has a Bachelor's in Economics from the LSE, London School of Economics, and political science and a master's degree from Said Business School at the University of Oxford. Very well-educated fellow. Um, And today we're going to talk to Dennis about what's going on in the post-pandemic world of edtech investments. How the recent spate of AI tools like ChatGPT and Bard are going to impact the sector, as well as hear his take on new, interesting areas of innovation in the edtech landscape. So listen up and welcome, Dennis. Thank you.
1: Great to be here.
0: All right, but first I've got a career question. Um, I follow the arc of people's careers, and I'm really curious to know how and why you decided to, or found yourself specializing in edtech investments, of all things. So
1: I've been at Prosus and Nasperis now for uh, over four years. And I started, uh, having come from investment banking background, I started in the group M&A and investments department. So I've been more of a generalist, although always focused on the technology space, but I haven't specialized more narrowly uh, at that point and uh, having spent a few years doing sort of M&A and investments for the broader Process and NASPERS universe, I decided that it would be interesting to, you know, double click on one of the large verticals that Process and NASPERS has been investing behind and uh, become, you know, more of a specialized expert in that area and tech was frankly, a natural choice. It's one of the youngest, if not the youngest segments that NASPERS and ProSUS have strategic interest in. And uh, it is still very early in its development. NASPERS and ProSUS have been lucky to observe over the years how verticals within technology and internet start up and then grow and then become you know, an established part of the day-to-day life over the years, and edtech, I feel, is still at the beginning of that of that path. And therefore, I saw a lot of exciting developments in the industry to come over the years, and hence it was really interesting for me to to explore that area deeper.
0: And also, I mean, if we think about it, edtech and its uptake was really not widely um, widely taken up until really the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic was this massive catalyst for the growth of the sector and a really positive catalyst for education technology. Many companies just like found their raison d'etre during this time. And then there was all this potential for growth and so much uh, capital that was being raised and invested. I'd love to hear your take on the impact of the pandemic.
1: The pandemic clearly was a game changer in many ways for the education technology landscape. And uh, companies have, of course, existed pre-pandemic that have been pretty big and successful. But I would say there have been a couple of areas where tech has not fulfilled its potential pre-pandemic. There hasn't been a widespread consumer acceptance of the fact that it is possible to get high quality education online right so that that has not been an established fact yet by any means parents in most geographies still sort of strongly preferred to have an offline experience for their children and the online online content almost you know was considered as at best supplementary but in no way a substitute for the real thing right and uh, on the other hand investors apart from a few notable exceptions have not yet made good money in EdTech, tech right and uh, both of these have combined to kind of make a tech something you know that everyone agreed was super promising but something that hasn't hasn't yet arrived right and the pandemic has has really changed that mindset it has really caused a pretty substantial shift of that mindset because you know parents on one end Parents and frankly, corporates, they had no alternative suddenly overnight. They had no alternative but to offer training and tutoring and uh, content to their children or employees through online means. Companies that have historically been focused on maybe at best a blend of you know companies on the on the education supply front i mean that have been focusing historically at best on a blend of online and offline they had to again overnight really transition to a purely online offering for which they needed to make some very rapid investments usage of these online services has, has just skyrocketed and that has that has changed the view of people uh, and we feel it changed the view of people irreversibly, right? So we're not going back to the pre-pandemic days in terms of that mindset. Everyone understood that often online is a more efficient way of delivering content, right? And it allows for much more personalization, it allows for much more, you know, tailoring of content to the needs of, uh, you know, a specific learner group, etc. cetera. It, it's just logistically often more efficient. We were investors in a company called GoStudent which is connecting students to, to tutors. Uh, mostly out of Europe, school age, typically children. And uh, you know, if you think about it, an offline tutor needs to travel to your home as, as a parent, let's say, they need to spend an hour there and then travel back and need to get paid for all that time. If now suddenly they can fill their schedule in a much more efficient way through online, maybe they can even do it for a, a lower price for the consumer. And for the consumer, it's also more convenient. So. That realization has come, for sure, right? Um, right. Now.
0: Yeah, I mean, dur- during the pandemic, I remember my kids were taking online piano lessons. And I was like, how on earth is that going to work? The piano teachers made, figured it out. I mean, teaching an instrument online actually happened. Something that was completely unfathomable before. If you'd said to a parent, yeah, we're going we're gonna to teach your kids an instrument, and we're not gonna act- it's not going to be in person, they would have thought you were bonkers but it happened very effectively and then after that I was like now I've got to get in my car and slip across town in LA to go take my kids for a piano lesson I don't really feel like doing that yeah. anymore exactly so yeah um, and so it's stuck
1: It's stuck and then if you look at the sort of metrics of, of usage that all major online platforms have have sort of have seen it all skyrocketed of course during the pandemic um, and then the interesting thing is, Interesting question that we're now asking ourselves is what's the what's the new normal in the post-pandemic world? And now the picture is crystallizing to some extent as the restrictions have been lifted in most geographies. And you know, I think there's been, I would say there's been a broader, you know, bifurcation on the B2C side, the tailwind of the pandemic has been tremendous in a lot of cases, right? And then in 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 most instances, there's been some sort of um, a reversion to the growth trend uh, that that has been there pre the pandemic, right? So um, there's been a strong boost, and then there's been maybe either either a bit of a you know decline or maybe a plateau. But there is some slowdown. If you look at year on year metrics, let's say this year versus the pandemic uh, restriction periods, there is somewhat of a slowdown, although of a higher base, right? So overall, the pandemic has definitely increased the user base, but Now the the growth isn't obviously as meteorical anymore as the restrictions get lifted.
0: And can I ask you a question? How do investors feel about that? Because a lot of capital gets raised on these big growth projections. And the reality is you can't keep growing at that pace year after year. And there was this massive boost at the pandemic out of necessity. And now it's just logical that things would um Not necessarily plateau, but grow at a much more moderate pace. And how do how do investors do they did w- did you build that into the model, or how do they feel about it?
1: So I think here you know there's an interesting overlap between two impacts. One is the COVID boost, and then let's say normalization, right? Which frankly people have been capturing. I would say like no one expected that this will be just now this. Uh, Exponential growth forever, uh, but then it also, of course, overlapped with the financial, um, with the financial and macro uh, headwinds that we're now experiencing. Because if you look at it, 2021, which has been maybe the last year of where pandemic restrictions were still in full force, was also a year where there's been sort of incredible monetary um, uh, monetary easing and all this stimulus. Issued by governments that cause a huge amount of liquidity. And then 2022 has been a year where the realization came in that this causes inflation, right? The interest rates started to increase. It's very difficult to say what impact is really causing what because there's like a couple of impacts. One is specifically related to the COVID tailwinds for the industry, the other one is related to the you know, broader macro and financial landscape, I would say. But I think across across the tech spectrum, definitely, there is a normalization of expectations occurring, right? As the micro environment is now much less uh, favorable, there's much less tailwinds from things like quantitative easing. Overall, tech investors are becoming much more sober, I would say, about what can a company really achieve in this environment.
0: And so if you have to comment on the, the sort of the pandemic aftermath, the, the little bit of the hangover after, after the big party that the entire ecosystem has been enjoying with lots of promise and hope, but surely some some certainly realization that this could not possibly go on forever. What are you seeing now in the aftermath of the big growth phase?
1: There's definitely more realism, right? That, you know, perhaps some investors sort of spurred on by the combination of COVID tailwinds as well as this Favourable micro environment have maybe been have maybe been a little bit too enthusiastic, let's say, in in the year of 2021.
0: Listen, we love investor enthusiasm, right? I mean, we we're happy with that.
1: We're happy with that, but sometimes it causes things like you know overheated valuations in the market, and uh, that that at some point become unrealistic and unsustainable. Definite correction in the market since then, and it's been across all tech. You know, and that tech has not been insulated from that by any means. All tech names are. If you look at even the, the public markets are substantially down since their 2021 peaks. And now I think there is a discovery process of what is what is really the new normal growth level, what is really the new new profitability potential in the post-pandemic world. And you know, frankly, some companies are doing better than others. I mean, in our portfolio, we are pretty happy with how the companies have been managing this transition, both and our portfolio is very broad. Right, so it covers both B two B as well as B two C focus names. It covers K twelve focus names and professional focus names. So we have a pretty broad lens on the development of the tech space, uh, the headwinds, the tailwinds, and I'd say sort of we're guiding our companies now to, as, as I'm sure everyone or, or most investors are, to really look forward and. You know, aim to balance solid growth with healthy profitability or a healthy path to profitability. That has definitely always been the focus, but I would say the, the balance shifted significantly from sort of grow, growth, growth, grow, growth, which we've seen in 2021, to more like, you know, we grow but sustainably and profitably. And that is very true for EdTech, that's also true for other areas of tech, I think.
0: Completely. Yeah, no, that's just across the board. All of a sudden, the P word made a a re-emergence, like, actually, we're in this to make some profit. Just remember that. So that became sort of front and center, certainly, over the last year. Okay, let's switch and talk about AI, and particularly ChatGPT, which is just, it seems like it's dominating every single conversation that I have right now, regardless of industry, regardless of context ChatGPT and Bard obviously made a, a sort of half appearance a couple of weeks ago and um, keen to hear your thoughts on the impact of these tools.
1: So it's it's fascinating frankly and this is this is something we talk about all the time now. We have a, a sizable AI team at Prosus and NASPERS that work with all our portfolio companies and have been doing that for years now, to um, you know, to develop ways to use AI and AI-driven tools in the businesses that that the companies are in, and we have a pretty early lens on what these tools can do, right? And we have been experimenting and implementing uh, some of those tools and kind of well ahead of the of the recent explosion of interest that has been spurred on by the ChatGPT uh, becoming becoming sort of a publicly available tool but i would say that you know at tech as a sector has generally been punching significantly below its weight in terms of using and leveraging ai right i remember we did a bit of a sort of thought exercise what in which segment the potential for ai use is the highest across all the segments we are playing in and where and where the gap between the actual use and the potential is the highest and at tech was was firmly sort of firmly on top right but the potential is huge but also the extent to which companies were leveraging it was until recently pretty limited and i think the potential is the potential is truly tremendous because you know personalization is something that is the holy grail in edtech everyone is trying to achieve maximum personalization to enable the learner to follow a very unique path rather than a boilerplate sort of template that is good for some, but not really suitable for others. And machine learning and AI can, can really help with that. And um, I feel like now this explosion of interest is is making every tech CEO scratch their head. And if they haven't already been firmly on, the, on, on, on this journey to, to really think, how can I make this part of my offering? So, cause it will impact everything starting from K12 all the way to professional and problems are multi multifaceted right on one side there's a question of you know maybe certain ways of learning and testing might be gone right or or might be much more challenging like essay writing.
0: i mean the the essay itself as a learning measure or tool it's having an existential crisis right now because the amount of kids at all levels of schooling and certainly higher ed that are already leveraging ChatGPT to at least provide the base of an essay. Uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are now, but they're increasing on a daily basis.
1: Exactly. So that's, that's on one hand. On the other end, there is a question of how this will impact the, the teachers, right? Because, um, you know, to some, like, even in current shape, ChatGPT can maybe act as a teaching assistant in some instances, right? But maybe with the next iterations, it could even in some instances act as a teacher and who knows what that leads to. Now, on the other end, we have some limited historical precedents that maybe give a little bit more reason for optimism on that front, because look, if you look at the calculator, right? The calculator, once it appeared, it kind of, you know, one could have said it would invalidate. All ways of assessment related to related to mind uh, mind maths, but then you know the schools adapted. Now they have tests where you can use a calculator, and they're just testing higher level skills. And uh, you know it may be that something similar eventually happens here, where writing a basic essay without original thought would be considered table stakes, because you can use tools like, uh, like 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 ChatGPT for that. But uh, the tests will actually focus on ability to innovate and. Uh, uh, engage in more creative thinking. So uh, it's it's it, it's it's ultimately very exciting, and we're at the very early days of this. But one thing that's clear, I think, is that this is just not going to go away. I mean, this has arrived, and uh, it's it's only going to get better.
0: A colleague and friend who's in the work of um, futurism has said, the AI is the worst it's ever going to be right now. It's only getting better. So, you know, I, in fact, what I've just played some games with for myself is I usually write a bio and intro on my guests and either I get it online or I ask somebody to send me a bio, but I've just ask ChatGPT, Dennis Nikolaev, I need a bio. Anyway, ChatGPT thinks you're someone else, just to let you know. <laughs> so fortunately, I verified verify that. Um, but in a little while, um, the errors that are coming up are going to be um, erased. And it's going to be the most incredible tool. But yeah, definitely confounding a lot of, uh, uh, you know, stakeholders in every ecosystem are trying to figure out what the impact and opportunity is. But I'm glad to hear it's so exciting and that the edtech sector really not yet fully developed in terms of what those, those opportunities could be. I think that the most exciting part of your job must be getting access to the cutting edge innovation all the new things that are happening in a sector, which is always interesting and exciting to me. Okay, AI's AI here, and uh, we know that that's gonna only get better and evolve, but what's new, on the, what's new and innovative in, the, in your space? There
1: are a few areas that we, we're excited to follow over the coming months and years to see what, where that leads to.
0: You know, this is in
1: no particular order, but uh, I'll, just, I'll just kind of give you a few snapshots of some exciting stuff that we're seeing. So one area which actually I think will be a very interesting complement to the use of artificial intelligence and ai in education is collaborative learning right so it's it's learning which is which is sort of to some extent at least focused on the social element of it so students te- learning side by side helping each other and uh, something that's been occurring in classrooms for for decades, obviously, and is there a way to, in a smart and scalable way, move that online and there are a few exciting companies that are working on that and it feels like in a world where AI plays a more significant role as an educator, right having that social connection with a peer uh, would be would be actually quite valuable and, 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 and would not go away at all so social learning and leveraging your peers rather than you know a centralized teacher figure for you know clarifying things making mistakes jointly figuring them out this is something which 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 i think is quite interesting to observe
0: yeah, well, I can I can vouch for that. I I mean, I don't know if you if you have kids or teenagers. I've got two teenagers, and they literally are online with one another whilst they're doing their homework, and they don't even talk to each other from time to time, or they do. They have these like kind of coexisting study groups that are a bit informal, but that's how they learn, and they've been doing this since the pandemic. It's a natural way for them to engage.
1: It's very natural, and um, you know, if 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 a right platform. Offers the right tools for that, the growth can be quite significant, right? And and we've seen this in a few geographies now. The other area which is which is pretty interesting and promising is, I would say, you know, and now it's a little out of vogue, but I think at some point it will make a comeback. Is is the whole VR, AR, Metaverse uh, thing, right? And uh, I've read an article that I think Metaverse as a term has Declined in popularity over the last year, like eighty percent or something like that. So it's definitely out of vogue. And uh, I think you know Meta and their humongous spend in that area didn't didn't sort of make investors any more cheerful on that front. But at some point, my my personal view is that this this will this will arrive. Right, that moment just hasn't happened yet, and. Many companies, many exciting and good minds are working on creating a learning metaverse, right? And um, I'm, I'm a parent as well, and my my 12 year old daughter, all she wants to do in her spare time is be on Roblox, right? And Roblox is arguably the best and most widespread metaverse in existence today. Like a lot of companies are struggling with the with a huge prize of you know, creating a Roblox for learning. And uh, something which is cool, interactive, uh, allows children to take on cool avatars, yet also helps with their learning objectives, right? And se- several companies are trying to build something like that, including big, big tech as well as new, uh, smaller tech innovators. It feels like there should be something there, but that is probably a longer-term horizon. Um, because at the moment it feels like there's a bit of a metaverse
0: winter for a few years maybe okay I, I'm wondering though, because it does seem like there's still a lot of bubbling under the surface around around VR and AR. It seems like a natural next step for for learning. I wonder about that that time horizon. maybe just uh, you know AI in the form of chat GPT to the consumer just like landed suddenly, but it's been just going on in the background. It's not for a while already. I actually read an article. It was uh, produced by A16Z on um, on all of the different AI uh, entities, tools, companies that are around that we just don't necessarily know about as consumers, but they, they're there. They've landed. They're in development. They're growing. The next steps regarding AR, VR, I think we'll speak in a sooner time than a few years and go, wow, that happens <laughs> That happens sooner than expected, or maybe not. Dennis, it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you for joining me. I hope you have an amazing year of investing, and I hope the portfolio companies continue to grow and thrive. And we'll speak again and see if your predictions have have come true in the investing world. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging around all the way to the end. It would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I will really appreciate that. Thank you so much.